0: language here. Uh, you know, if you were to ask someone uh, for an assessment uh, about a certain person's abilities in a, in a particular area, and the response you got was, she's adequate, uh, typically we would take that to mean something like, well, she can get the job done, but just barely. Or, or maybe she's good enough to get by, but nothing more. And I think for the most of us, we probably have a tendency to think of adequate as maybe just barely one step above mediocre or or this type of thing. But that's not the way the dictionary defines the word. According to Webster's unabridged dictionary, adequate means fully sufficient, suitable, or fit. Now, fully sufficient, that means a whole lot more than just barely good enough to get by, don't you think? And, and, And really, the Bible uses the word with that good definition as well. For instance, in 2 Timothy 3, we are told all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, uh, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Do you think God gave us His word so that we might be just barely good enough to get by? No, I don't, I don't think so i think it's fully sufficient so today we're we're going to be talking about being adequate but but i hope you'll have that that positive definition of being fully sufficient in your mind as we're going through it. So yeah, hopefully you grab your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Going to be a little bit of overlap with where we were last Sunday, uh, and if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go to the website and uh, listen in on that so you, you, you get the background here. But basically, the, the, the theme of the message last week was us being a fragrance of Christ to this world. And so you're going to hear that as, as uh, we do our reading for today, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 15, and we're going to go through the end of chapter 3, so it's a little longer than normal reading, but um, you know we believe there's power in just reading the Word of God, so we're going to do that, follow along as I read. It says this, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one An aroma from death to death to the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter written in our hearts known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more, with more glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory, in this case, has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But but their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Father God, again, we ask that in this time of preaching, you would be our teacher. God, I pray that nothing I say would hinder the message you would want to impart to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we ended last week with that uh, penetrating question found in verse 16. And who is adequate for these things? And we talked about the fact that, man, it's it's an exciting thing uh, when we learn that we are a fragrance of Christ uh, that God is using to to bring the knowledge of God uh, and spread that knowledge throughout the world. And people are supposed to be able to sense Jesus Christ in our lives. The way we conduct ourselves, the way we speak, how we handle both adversity and Uh, success, those things should show a watching world, not what great people we are, but the truth of Jesus in our lives. And and while that is exciting, we also uh, admitted that it can be a bit intimidating because we all know our weaknesses and our failings. We all know how often we don't exhibit the character of Christ, and we all know exactly how inadequate we are. So when we read that question at the end of verse 16 there, of who is adequate for these things, our immediate response is usually, not me, right? I, I, I'm not adequate. I can't do it. So then, is that the end of the issue? I, I, that's over? I, I guess I just can't be a fragrance of Christ? And, and of course, the answer is, uh, nope, it doesn't work that way. And that was, again, part of the message uh, last Sunday. Being a fragrance of Christ is not an optional opportunity for some Christians. It's a fixed reality for all of us. That's what we are in this world. It's what God is doing. It's His choice, not yours. So then now you're maybe thinking, oh, man, that's even more intimidating. But I... As I said last Sunday, Paul's got an answer, or maybe a a better word, he's got some encouragement for us or reassurance for us in this area. In in this passage, we're going to focus on uh, the issue of adequacy, but but we also need to keep in mind as we're working through these verses, the overall context. Remember that, that Paul has been answering some charges or accusations that were leveled against him by those false teachers that had come into the church there in Corinth. And those false teachers, they were trying to discredit Paul, saying that you can't trust what he has to say. So Paul is, is not only answering the question of this adequacy in our lives, but he's also rebuilding credibility with the, the Corinthians. And that becomes very clear in the next verse as we, as we look at it. It says, For we are not like many, and when you see the word many there, think those false teachers, we're not like many peddling the Word of God but as from sincerity, but as from God. We speak in Christ in the sight of God. The the false teachers were peddling. They were were always trying to get more money from the congregation, and and that's what Paul referred to as peddling the Word of God. And by the way, just, just as an aside, this is kind of just a bonus thought on the side here. If a preacher spends more time asking for money than he does explaining the Word of God, or if in his explanations of God's word it always seems to circle around to you giving more money, uh, that preacher is probably not worth listening to. He's peddling, not preaching. A- 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 and that's not what it's about. Paul's ministry was not like that. Uh, there was no peddling of the word of God. He could say in sincerity uh, that uh, with God is his witness that he was preaching Christ. And then he goes on, continuing to contrast himself with those false teachers in chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? It was a very common practice in those days for traveling teachers to have these letters of commendation. Because, you know, there was no Facebook that you could get to know somebody from, from things beforehand. So these strangers would show up in town, and if they had letters of commendation from some important person or some organization that was trusted or whatever, well, then this unknown group of people would accept them and would accept their teaching and, and, and what they were bringing. And, and the more prestigious your letter of commendation, well, the higher honor you were held in. And so apparently, these false teachers showed up at that Corinthian churches with these letters of commendation in their hands. Now, where they came from, we don't know. They could have been forgeries. They could have just been lies. Maybe they came from other false teachers of the same ilk as them from in Jerusalem. And and so these people in Jerusalem say, hey, we're part of the Jerusalem church and you should listen to these fellows. We, We don't know. But what Paul is saying is, is that what you really want? Do you think a letter makes what is going on with these teachers any better? And then he points to what really matters, changed lives. More specifically, their changed lives. Look at, look at verses two and three. You are our letter, written in our, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, Cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. So Paul, you know, he's changing that metaphor from being a fragrance to being a letter. And, and he's indicating that as a letter, these believers were tended for and cared by Paul, not these false teachers. And it was under his teaching that their lives began to be transformed and to change. So now as we're applying this to us, we, we, we go from being a fragrance of Christ to a letter of Christ, it says. But the point is still the same. As a fragrance, Paul said that, you know, everybody smells us. That's what we were looking at last week. As a letter, it says that we are known and read by all men. You've probably heard that, you know, that old well-worn saying that proclaims, you might be the only Bible that some people read. Well, this is where that idea comes from you are as verse 3 says a letter of christ And, and, and people are reading your life and when they read it it should be telling them about jesus so now maybe you're going man that that even puts more pressure on me I mean, how can I possibly live up to this kind of scrutiny? First, it's a fragrance of Christ, and now it's a letter of Christ, and this is all just a bit overwhelming. I don't think I can do this. Well, fortunately, this is where Paul then gets back around to answering that question of our adequacy. Who is adequate for this? Who can be that aroma of Christ spreading the knowledge of God around this world just by their very lives? Who can be that letter of Christ being read by all men and and, and all who read it are Pointed to Jesus. Who can measure up to that? Verse 5. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is in God. So, see, in response to the question, who is adequate? The answer is no one. No one. None of us. Not one person. It's not me, not you. Not the Corinthians, not even the Apostle Paul, right? No one is adequate in and of themselves. By your own strength, by your own power, under your own abilities, by your own grit-your-teeth-and-try-harder-type effort, you are not and never will be adequate. Paul said he's not adequate to consider anything as coming from himself. Anything. Anything and if the great apostle paul's not adequate i sure know i'm not and yet god still has the audacity to say you are a fragrance of christ you are a letter of christ read and known by all you are that even though you're not adequate and here's why because our adequacy comes from god he is the one who makes your life a fragrant aroma of christ or a a letter worth reading it's only because of his transforming power that we are adequate in any of these things that god says we are and maybe you're saying well you know that that sounds great that sounds exciting but how does that work because i still don't feel adequate Well, first of all, I want you to know it's okay not to feel adequate. That's actually a good thing. I mean, if you ever get to the point where you you feel adequate, then watch out uh, because that would probably indicate that there's a problem. I mean, when we accept or look for nominations in this church for for men to serve as elders, uh, one of the first responses I hope to see from them is something like, I, I don't know if I'm adequate to be an elder. At which point I can go, whew, good, we got that out of the way because, yeah, no, you're not. None of us are. Not in ourselves. So how does God go about making us adequate? Look at verse 6. Who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit kills. Gives life. So basically, what Paul is saying here is that God can make us adequate because of the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant, the new being equated to the spirit and the old to the letter of the law. And the old covenant, you know, was that which was promised to Abraham uh, by God and then ratified or codified through the giving of the law with Moses. That old covenant law revealed God's perfectly holy and righteous standards and then demanded that we live by them. But what people quickly realize is that nobody could do that. Nobody could keep the law. And that's why in verse 7, it's referred to as the ministry of death. And in verse 9, the ministry of condemnation. See, the law simply showed how miserably we all fail at meeting the holy and righteous standards of a perfect God. There's no, you know, wink, wink, that's close enough with God. You either kept the law and kept all of it, Or you didn't. And if you didn't, you were condemned as a lawbreaker and the judgment of condemnation was passed down, the judgment of death. So now going back to verse 6, that's what Paul meant when he said, for the letter kills. Here's the letter of the law. This is what it demands of you. If you fail to keep every jot and tittle of the law perfectly, you are condemned. Now, that doesn't mean that there was a problem with the law or that somehow it was bad or failed, right? The problem was with the Jews and and, and people even today because they completely misunderstood God's purpose and plan with the law. They thought that the law was a means to salvation, right? If I can keep the law good enough, if I do a good enough job keeping all the law, then God's going to let me into heaven, and, and people still think that way today, right? I mean, haven't you ever asked anybody, are you going to heaven? Oh, I hope so. Well, how, you know, how, I'm trying to be good enough. So, so people are still thinking that, that they can be good enough. God's real purpose of the law is spelled out in books like Romans and Galatians where we find out that the law was given to show us that we're not good enough and can't possibly good enough, be good enough. See, the law... It can't make us be good, but it really does a very excellent job of showing us that we're not very good. That's the purpose of the law, to, to prove that we need a Savior. So, if being a fragrance of Christ or a, a letter of Christ was up to our abilities to live like Jesus, who, I mean, perfectly did live up to the letter of the law, right? Well, then we're truly inadequate, Right? there would have to be a different system in place in order for us to be that fragrance of Christ. And that's where the new covenant comes in. Again, go back to verse six. It says, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the, letter, the Spirit gives life. The new covenant is built on the fact that the Spirit of God would reside right inside of you, forgive your sins, change your hearts, and empower you to live a transformed life so answer a question for me what's better to have a rule telling you this is what you need to do or to have the rule maker living right inside of you changing your heart to want to do his will and then empowering you to do it which one's better I think we, we we get that figured out pretty easily, don't we uh, and and basically the the verses seven through sixteen those those big chunks of verses, Paul is emphasizing how much better this new way this new covenant is than the old, but again, he doesn't want to leave the impression that the old was bad; it had its purpose and it serves its purpose well so uh he doesn't want to leave you with that negative impression of it. That's why as you read through all those verses, you keep seeing that word glory repeated. The old covenant came in glory, but the new covenant has an even greater glory. In fact, its glory is so great that it's almost as if the old covenant didn't have glory. It's going on and on, but the new covenant is glorious. The old was good for what God wanted it to accomplish, but the new is better. And Paul uses that uh, illustration of Moses in there to to prove that point. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, it, it was such an incredible experience in the presence of God that when he came down, it says that the glory of God just shone out of his face and it scared the people and, and, and intimidated them. But it was also fading away just as the old covenant would fade and be replaced by the new. And so Moses covered his face with a veil. Well, the new covenant, it would have a glory that would not fade away, so the veil is removed. But let's let's focus really on that question of how the new covenant makes us adequate to be a fragrance or a letter of Christ. Look at how Paul sums this up beginning in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, and that word liberty is often translated freedom. There is freedom. And by the way, if you're ever looking for more evidence of the truth of, of, of the Trinity, this is a verse that helps uh, support that, uh, that reality. The, the first phrase declares, the Lord is the Spirit. They are one and the same. But, but the primary focus of this verse is what the Spirit does. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. So the immediate question is, well, freedom from what? And the answer is freedom from having to be good enough. F- freedom from having to try harder and harder to keep the law. Freedom from having, try, uh, from having to try to make yourself worthy by your performance. We're freed from all of that. And the next verse explains kind of how that freedom can work. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from God, uh, from the Lord, the Spirit. So the explanation of of why God says you can be a fragrance of Christ is because He's the one who is transforming you and making you adequate. The, The reference to an unveiled face uh, faith means that that the truth is not hidden from us. In this case, the truth about Jesus, because it says with unveiled face, we are beholding what? The glory of the Lord, of, of Jesus. We understand the truth, that heaven is not a reward for good behavior, uh, for people that were able to keep the law, since nobody could. Rather, it is a gift that God gives to those who are repentant. Therefore, God is not looking for perfection in our lives, but rather allegiance, allegiance to Jesus Christ. And that brings us freedom, doesn't it? It's not about how good I can be. It's simply about turning to Jesus and loving Him. And then we get to the apex, the pinnacle of Paul's encouragement for us. It comes right in the middle of uh, of the verse. It says, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory the same image the image what what image is he talking about well the image of the lord that we are beholding as in a mirror it says so he is saying that we're being transformed to be like jesus right did did you notice that the verse says we're being transformed into that same image that image of jesus i mean that's what god's doing that that should be exciting right That should be a positive thing for us. This is what God's doing. You see Jesus and you see what He's like. You see who He is. God's transforming you into that. It's the work He's doing. That's an exciting thing. And and I, I like the fact that it says we're being transformed, right? Because that means we're not the ones doing the transformation. It's being done to us. God is the one that's doing it. That's why he can say, yeah, you're a fragrance of Christ because he's making you fragrant. He's transforming you to be like Jesus. He can say you are a letter being read by everyone because he's the one writing the letter. God is changing your life, making you more like Jesus. So with that thought, I want to end with two final thoughts. I don't know if you can end with two final thoughts because one has to be final, but two final thoughts. You'll, You'll have to deal with it. So two final thoughts. First, maybe... Maybe you feel bad because of where you are in this transformation process. You know, we know what we're supposed to be like. We're supposed to be like Jesus. But when we're honest with ourselves, we see that we're so far away from that goal. Perhaps you've said things in your own mind like this, I thought by now, have you ever said this? I thought by now I'd be a better Christian. I I thought by now I I wouldn't lose my temper so easily. I I thought by now I I wouldn't be overtaken or or tempted by lustful thoughts. I I thought by now. You ever said that? You, You know what you're saying? You're saying that this transformation process just isn't happening fast enough for you. You can fill in the a thought by now, fill in the blank with whatever it is, that weakness or struggles in your life. And then we tend to go from there to a thought of, uh, I wonder if God's disappointed in me. Disappointed because of how slow the process of change is from, from what I am to what I know I'm supposed to be. But this verse is a reminder that God's the one in charge of that transformation process. It's His work, and He knows how slow going and difficult it is. Therefore, He's not disappointed in you. He loves you. There's a a children's song that that we used to sing in Sunday school here quite a bit, and, and it has a powerful truth no matter what your age is. The first line of the song says, He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Remember that God is the one transforming your life and He is not disappointed in His own work. Being transformed. uh, Again, I love that. It says being, not been. Been means it should be a done deal and you should be perfect. Being means it's a process. You're being transformed. That process is going on. Jesus is still working on you. And even as he works on you, you're adequate. So the second final thought, have you wondered what your role might be then in this transformation process? Does that mean we just get to sit back in the easy chair and wait for God to do it? Right, here's the thing. I think a lot of Christians make a mistake in terms of this process of reverting back to the old, co- the old covenant right? That is, they look at all the rules, and they think that maybe by trying harder and making promises and doing their best, that'll help them be good Christians. But look at what this verse tells us to do. It says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. It's as we look at Jesus that we're transformed. Do you want to know how you can help and cooperate and work with God in this transformation process? Get to know Jesus. Spend time gazing upon Him and His life and all that He's done for you. Fix your eyes on Him. And as you do, the Spirit of God is going to go to work inside of you, transforming you from the heart level inside to the outside. Two behavior, two changes. And as we look at Jesus, God transforms us, that verse says, into the same image from glory to glory. So understand, you are adequate right now to do everything and anything that God has called you to do because of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, God is not going to stop transforming you until you're like Jesus Christ. So we need to stop focusing on our failings and shortcomings and inadequacies and instead start focusing on knowing Jesus Christ because that will change your life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that the adequacy is not in us, in our abilities, in our willpower or effort or training, but it's in you and what you're doing in our lives. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to know Jesus, to fix our gaze upon him, and allow you to transform us into that same image from glory to glory. Amen. Will you stand with us as we sing our final song? Men of faith, rise up and sing of the great and glorious King. You are strong when you feel weak in your brokenness complete. Shout to the north and